My name is Adam, and uh, I have the immense pl pl uh, pleasure and on honor uh, to be the uh, chairperson for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. But above that, I have a unique connection here to Springvale. 16 years ago, Pastor Bob Fleming, anybody out there remember him? Pastor Bob Fleming. Pastor Bob Fleming married Angela McGowan and I over there in the old section of the church, and I've been such a joy to be a part of the McGowan clan uh, for 16 years, weaving in and out of Springvale, and so thankful for uh, the opportunity to finally be here. Thank you, Ed, wherever you're watching from this morning, uh, for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, I want to share briefly with you uh, about the EFC, just really brief. Uh, we have a booth in the back. <clears throat> Gina and Anita that you saw in the video are here, and we would love to be able to just share with you a little bit more about who the EFC is, what we do, and, uh, and some of the ways that you can be involved. But there are five main pillars when it comes to the EFC. Uh, many of you would know or at least maybe be aware of uh, our involvement in Ottawa, things that we do around the sanctity of human life uh, and religious freedom, standing up for public policy. Bruce Clemenger, our president, and Julia Beasley, uh, who is our director of public policy, are heavily involved in Ottawa. And then church and mission, Family and community and care for the vulnerable are three other aspects where we do work with refugees, we produce resources, uh, particularly right now in Canada, issues around medical assistance and dying and euthanasia uh, are at the forefront of the kinds of things that we're paying attention to. But of course, globally, with the World Evangelical Assembly, we're watching and, and being a part of uh, global conversations. And a few weeks ago, I had the immense honor to join with leaders from all over Canada uh, and uh, one of our partners overseas as we join in global prayer for Ukraine and Russia and the conflict, of course, that's happening there. And so there's a number of things that the EFC does. It's not just Ottawa-based. Uh, there's really practical tools for parenting, for discipleship. Uh, faith is uh, love is moving, and faith today are great resources that I'd highly encourage you to check out, and they're all available for you in the booth in the back. One guy that I do want to introduce to you, though, on this screen that we watched in that video is a guy named Rick Heemstra. And Rick Heemstra has done some profound research. And this is the really, for me, one of the strong points of the EFC is that we actually produce Canadian-based research about where faith is and church engagement is in our country. A lot of the things that we're learning, a lot of the trends that we understand that are impacting faith and youth cultures particularly are coming out of the States, right? Barn is a beautiful resource, uh, certainly coming out of the States. But the EFC sort of focuses in on Canada trends and faith engagement. And I don't know how you feel about the church in Canada. I don't know if you, your spidey senses have been going off a little bit. But let's just, let's just be vulnerable here this morning, okay? I want to like, just invite you into a little bit of a family conversation about the church in Canada. Can we all just agree that things aren't the way they used to be? Can we, can we go there? Can you go there with me? That, that maybe just maybe the country that some of you are living in today isn't the country that you grew up in. Is that fair? So over the last several decades, the EFC has been involved in research that studies the Canadian church and faith engagement. And I want to spend the first, like, seven minutes, and show, like, if I don't get there in seven minutes, you, like, throw your coffee at me or something like that, all right? So, because, like, nobody wants to go to statistics class on a Sunday morning, right? Like, nobody wants to go there. So if you just want to tune out the statistics for the next seven minutes, I just want you to hear this statement, things are bad. 
okay? Things are bad. But here's the hope in that, okay? You know, you're like, seriously, Adam, you're going to fly into, you know, Ontario and just tell us, like, things are bad? Like, welcome to church, right? It's important for us to face the reality. In life and in leadership, unless we actually face our current reality, we can't take meaningful steps to change. If we, if we don't acknowledge where we are, we can't actually know what the best response is to move forward. Spouses, I'm thinking about your husbands denying the fact that they're lost. I'm not lost, right? You gotta know, your, you gotta know where you are to get your bearings in order to take some meaningful steps moving forward. So let's take a look at some statistics here this morning. And by the way, thanks for the t-shirt. I love this, this is great. Um, okay, back in the day, here we go, 1946, weekly religious service attendance in Canada was at 67%. 67% in 1946. In 2019, actually, this is the last number that we have, we're now at 11% weekly attendance. Let's jump to the next slide. I want to break this down because a weekly attendance looks a little bit different for some of us. So let's jump in here. 3% are going more than weekly. 9% are at least weekly. 4% are doing two to three times a month. 4% are doing once a month. And then this section here, 20%, once or a few times a year, Rick Heemstra, our director of research, would actually clarify that to say what that actually means is Christmas and Easter. Okay? So 20% of our Canadians are attending church once or twice a year, tops. And then the rest are never. This is the current state of our church attendance in our nation. Let's keep going. Okay. Don't freak out on this one, okay? <laughs> Rick Heemstra is a brilliant man, okay? And he can make these things sing and dance for you. But what, what ends up, I just want to clarify this. What, what happened here is that the same person was asked two questions. What did you, what was life look like when you were 12? And what does life look like when you're today? Okay? So what does religious attendance, that's, um, weekly, religious attendance look like when you were 12 years old? That's on the left-hand side. And then where are you today? So this sort of spans research that's maybe 10 to 25 years, okay? And what, let's just jump to the next slide because what I want to really pay attention to is the weekly, and I separate this out. So let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> this is the second last one. But what I wanted to show is this is what's happening to our weekly attendance. So about half, you can see, are going from weekly to never. A smaller portion are going to less often, which remember when you see less often, think Christmas and Easter. A few are going to monthly, and a few, and, and, and about a quarter, maybe a third, are sticking into the church. And a third is about where we're at. When you look at research like hemorrhaging faith or renegotiating faith, which are some other studies that Rick Hamishter and the EFC have participated in, that's about what our record is, is 33% of those people who were raised in the church are staying in the church. Now, I have three kids, so I'm going to just bring this home for just a second. So that means one out of my three 
statistically speaking, are going to stay engaged in the church between the ages of 18 and 34. Friends, if we don't know what our current reality is, we can't take meaningful steps to begin to change our reality. This is what the church looks like in Canada. So when we look at this very last slide, see, never is basically staying the same. We have a little tiny, small sliver. There's a really sobering statistic out there that says about 2% of church growth is actual new growth. 2%. It's, it's actually a lot of our growth we experience is transfer growth, right? People changing churches and changing communities and some people just moving naturally, those kinds of things for sure. But a lot of church growth is actually transition growth, not new growth. And we have almost, when you look at the visual, you have almost just as many weekly as never joining that group. So like I said, if you, if you tuned out for the last seven minutes, you can just sort of zoom back in here and recognize with me Things, things aren't good, right? At least numbers-wise. Can we go there? Now, I understand. Let me, just, let me just recognize that some of you are out there saying, well, Adam, church attendance doesn't necessarily mean faith engagement. But there's actually some pretty strong correlation. Now, not causation, right, as you understand st statistics. One thing doesn't cause another. But when you look at the relationship between people who regularly attend church, and I'm talking every week, versus those who attend church even just two or three times a month, things like charitable work, generosity, service to the poor, all grow up. Uh, faith in, uh, reading your Bibles, core values, divorce, all these kinds of things that we would hold true sort of to the fast of the, of the faith, they would be more true with those who attend church regularly than those who begin to fade away. So, so I, I'd love to have a chat with you because I, I, I want to hear you say, I want you to recognize that I'm saying, like, don't, going to church isn't the same as being a Christian. But let me just be like a little shameless plug here. <laughs> going to church makes you a really healthy Christian, Okay. And one of the realities that we need to face in our country is that church engagement is at an all-time low. And I don't have time to unpack with you the Bible engagement study that we did about 10 years ago, but it would blow your socks off about what sort of regular Christians, average Christians, would believe to be true about the Word of God and our habits around Bible engagement. But that, I don't want to give you any more statistics. What I do want to ask is, so where do we go from here? So now what? Adam, why in the world would you join an organization like the EFC if the reality is really this bad? Maybe we should just pack it in, eh? What do you think? <laughs> no? Maybe, we, like, where's the hope in this? Well, friends, that's where I want to go. And First Peter actually provides some really important perspective and coaching uh, and guidance around this. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending a little bit of time in First Peter this morning. I don't know about you, but this can't be the future. This can't be the reality. We have, this something has to change. 
I want you to wonder about, with me, about times in your life when you've thought it was over. You ever, you ever have those moments? You ever have those moments when, like, I don't see a way through this? And I want you to hear that this is not the first time that the church has ever been in this situation. This is not the first time. First Peter was written to a group of Christians who were scattered. It was written shortly after the dispersion in Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, where Saul, you remember Saul, right, who was a part of the persecution of the church, and those Christians scattered in Acts chapter 8 all throughout the provinces around Asia Minor. And now Peter is writing to these Christians who are displaced, strangers, foreigners. He calls them exiles in a foreign land. And the book of 1 Peter actually helps us get our bearings about what it looks like for you and I to live in the margins. Because that's where the church is, folks. What does it look like for you and I to, to acknowledge and to accept, but then to respond and live in the Canadian margins? And so first and foremost, I think it's recognizing that we used to live life parallel to culture, right? That the church and the culture were, were somewhat sort of interchangeable in lots of ways. But now we live in a culture that's antithetical. It's opposite. It's, it's sort of like, it doesn't fit anymore. So what does that look like? And 1 Peter gives us some really important perspectives. The first one is right at the beginning. He says, listen, as sojourners and exiles, don't get caught up in the insecurity and the uncertainty of your situation. I want you to think about the last time you were lost. Okay? How did that feel? Was that super comfortable for you? I was in Los Angeles a few years ago for a conference, and... Um, I'm a, I'm a bit of a reader. I really love books and there's a, whatever. So, I mean, you know, I go to Los Angeles. What do you want to find? A bookstore, right? So, so I'm actually, but it's actually a really cool bookstore. Okay, I'm not like, okay, no, I'm, I'm losing it. I don't know. So I'm trying to find this bookstore. And I'm walking away from the city. Like the city lights are further and further behind me. And I'm, and I'm approaching like these dark alleys. And I'm going down on these this underpass. And there's like tents all over the space. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I later found out that I had actually wandered into Skid Row. And, uh, and it was just really uncomfortable. And, you, and in those places, you and I need to find our bearings. And this is sort of the space that these Christians found themselves spread out in the dispersion, Peter calls it. But he says this in verse 3. And Ashley and the team, you guys led us so beautifully to confess this truth. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ready? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's saying to the Christians of the time, don't let the uncertainty and the opposition of the things that are happening around you become what's happening inside of you. Don't let the questions and the anxiety of your time 
become your own anxiety and become your own uncertainty. How often in your life and in my life do we face problems and all we see is the problem? All we see is the gap. All we see is just how great the storm is. You think about some of the experiences that you have in your family, with your kids, with your health, with your job. Peter's saying, don't let the uncertainty of the situation dictate the certainty and the security that you have. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here. I don't care what the statistics say. God is not done with the church in Canada. Amen? We follow a God of the resurrection. Let's just walk through history really briefly. Oh my gosh, that time goes fast. Let's just do this really quick. Noah, come on, folks. There were eight people left in the world, right? It should have been over. Moses, it should have been over. Joshua, it should have been over. Nehemiah, Ruth, Esther, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do we want to keep going? Jesus on the cross. We follow a God who is the power of resurrection in our lives. And here's what I want to just share with you on this, okay? Because this is what we wrestle with, that sometimes in our lives what we actually want God to do is to resuscitate. And there's a huge difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Let me explain. Resuscitation is you and I bringing our broken pieces to God and seeing God put them back together again. I can't give resurrection power, resuscitation power to people. I don't have that. You lose a job. You lose a loved one. Your marriage falls apart. I, we don't deal in resuscitation power. God doesn't take our broken pieces and and try to put them back together. Resurrection power is God taking our broken pieces and making something new out of it. He's a beautiful, powerful God of the mosaic. And we should never lose hope, no matter how dire the situation looks. And that's why I can join an organization like the EFC. That's why week after week after week, no matter what you're going through, no matter the problems that you're going through, This is the place where we get to proclaim hope. This is the place where we get to invite our friends and our neighbors to say, come, follow a God. Be a part of a movement that experiences resurrection power that speaks hope where we don't see any hope. And Peter is trying to push the Christians to say, I know it looks bad. But we have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's untouched by time. It's unstained by evil. And it's unhindered by death. That's the security. So then out of this security, Peter gives us four things. You ready? I'm going to go through them really fast for you because i got 11 minutes. Four things. Ready? Three R's and one S. I couldn't come up with a fourth S. And a fourth R, so I just went to the next letter of the alphabet, okay? (laughs) So here it is. The first one is we've got to be relevant. The second one is we've got to be ready. The third one is we've got to be respectful. And the fourth one is we've got to be sober. 
Okay, and we're going to talk about that as we wrap up the end. But Paul, Peter says this, four, four things. The first one is for us to be relevant. He says, if you're going to do life on the margins, be zealous for what is good. Who is there to harm you, he says in, second, in 1 Peter chapter 3, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? Friends, you and I, we need to be concerned about our reputation. If we had a moment, I would actually ask you to think about, or doing a neighbor nudge, to ask your neighbor right here this morning, what is the church known for? What do you think our reputation is known for in our country? I want to push us gently to say that we need to be zealous for doing good. For the most part, if, if I can just jump to the, to the core message here, is that sometimes I kind of feel like in this culture where we are right now, where we're not going to church and people aren't going to church, and we're losing power and the culture's changing and society's changing, that we, we look around and we're, we're a little bit more like toddlers having a tantrum over somebody that's taking a toy away from us. Rather than you and I being a zealous community of good, imagine, imagine the impact. Imagine what it would look like for you and I, for Springvale to become a conduit of good in our community. That people would walk by and say, oh, this church... Man, if it wasn't for this church, man, I don't know where my marriage would be. If it wasn't for this church, I don't know where my kids would be. If it wasn't for this church, let us be zealous for good. And rather than being upset and zealous for what we had in the past, let us be zealous for being spirit-led, fruit-bearing, neighbor-loving Christians. There's a beautiful study that's done in our country called the Halo Project. And it studies the charitable effect, the tangible benefit of places like Springvale and charities in our country. And it actually says for every charitable dollar that's spent in our country, it actually equates to $4 of what it would take cities and governments to produce. So when you look at it, it's actually beautiful. You can go into a website called the Halo Project. You can type in Springvale or Stouffville, and you can find it, and you'll actually see the Halo Project, the effect of what this church is having on the community around you. It's, in, it's a, profound. But that's the mustard seed principle, where we take this small seed, we plant it in the, in the ground, and the kingdom of God becomes a place where people can find refuge. And that ought to be our reputation, that you and I are zealous for doing what's good. The second piece, right, so that's, that's how relevancy works, is that our lives need to be relevant in the works and the actions that we do. The second piece is that we need to be ready. Why do you do what you do? Famous words from Peter, right? He says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have that is in you. So why do you do what you do? I know why I do what I do. But if somebody asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, can you answer that? Can you clear, clearly communicate the reason 
that Jesus has captured your heart and captured your imagination. I can. I connect with Peter. In John chapter 6, verse 68 and 69, where Jesus is teaching something really hard, and Peter, and he looks at his disciples, and Jesus asks that question, do you want to go away as well? And Peter responds with these beautiful phrase, this beautiful phrase. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. I have believed that to the core of my being. That regardless of what the trends say, regardless of what the statistics say, I believe and know and hold fast to the fact that Jesus Christ is the answer that you and I are looking for. I believe in the words of Augustine who says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And man, our world is more restless today than it ever has been. And so when people find you and say, what is it that you have? Why are you zealous for good? (laughs) It's because I have this hope that's steady and sure in the midst of the storm. The third piece is to be respectful, right? So the first one, relevancy. We're going to do lives of good. Second one, ready. Third one, respectful. The only phrase I want you to hear on this is that we live in a time in which the fruit of the Spirit trump the gifts of the Spirit. Think about that with me for a second. Think about the leadership disasters that have happened in the last six months? Let's think about the leadership disasters that have happened in the last six years. We live in a time, friends, in which the fruit of the Spirit need to speak louder. Things like peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We ask a question, a friend of mine and, ask, and I ask this question when we're doing parent seminars. We ask, uh, so which of the fruit of the Spirit don't you want? Just like, is there anyone that you'd scratch off the list? And you can ask anybody that. You can ask any non-Christian. Like, do you want a little bit less love in your life? <laughs> what, like joy. Like, we don't need joy. Come on, let's, let's just tone it down. Uh, no. The fruit of the Spirit are there for the world to enjoy. They're there for you to live out so that the people around you experience the benefit of the work of the Spirit in your life. And, like, who doesn't want that? And yet, how often are we known for different postures in our relationships? And so Peter, right, I think he's come a long way in his journey on this one. Because Peter was the guy who lopped off ears, all right? When Jesus was being attacked in the garden, he was like, I got my sword, we're going to do this. And he wasn't afraid of speaking his mind and being outspoken. And somewhere along the way, he realized, oh, wait a minute, that game plan isn't working very well. (laughs) Maybe I should stop cutting off ears. Friends, I actually think it's really important for us to wrestle through this because he says, always be ready, but do it with gentleness and respect. 
Do it with gentleness and respect. You see, friends, even though we're on the margins, we can be right. But how many of you know, particularly again in marriage, how many know that you can be right and do it in the wrong way? Yeah. You see, we live with security in the kingdom of God, but we don't do that with arrogance and meanness. We do that with gentleness and respect so as to win the favor of our neighbor. And then Peter goes on to say, and if you suffer for doing good, that was what Jesus, that's what happened to Jesus. But if you suffer for doing sin, like you just kind of get what you deserve. As we think about what it means for us to be persecuted in our nation, let's, let me just zero in on this for just one second. Let us make sure that we're being persecuted for Jesus and not because we're really bad neighbors. Not because we speak ill intent or ill will or don't have the right to speak truth into the relationships that we have. There's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and shaming. Can we go there? The Holy Spirit, now I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry about offending people because as long as we're preaching the gospel, it's not going to always taste good. It's kind of like Buckley's mixture there, right? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't always taste the best, but he works. But that's a huge difference between me just coming up to somebody I don't know and calling sin out in their life. And so we need to be respectful. All right, last piece is we need to be sober. And I love this. Three times, little Bible study tip for you. If a scripture author repeats something over and over again, it's likely important, right? So in three times in five chapters, Peter says, be sober-minded. And if there was ever a challenge for the church in 2022, it's for you and I to not drink the Kool-Aid. All right? Sorry, Andrea. I hope you're not serving Kool-Aid at the church. Don't drink it. We've got to maintain a readiness and a sober, a sober mind. We've got to study the word of God. We've got to know the truth. And we've got to take disciplined steps to disengage from the messaging around us. So that same friend, when I, we talk about running parenting seminars, we have this phrase, this holy discontent that rises up in us that is the inaccurate messaging shaping the lives of our kids. It drives us crazy. And yet, listen to the language that we use. We binge Netflix, right? We binge social media. And it leaves us in this place of mental fuzziness. It leaves us in this place where we're not able to discern well the messages and the work of the Spirit around us. So we need to resist that Kool-Aid of the mob mentality. We need to maintain a sober mind. God is not done with the church in Canada. And I believe that as we live with relevancy, with readiness, with respect, and with sobriety, we'll see his ongoing work in our nation. I want to close with Habakkuk chapter 1, who says this, 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence, and will you not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord about the state of the affairs around him. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And then the Lord responds with this. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. God has not done in your life whatever you're going through this morning. He's not finished. He's always the God of the epilogue. He's always the God of resurrection. God is not done with the church in Canada. Friends, let us go out living lives that are zealous for good, winning the hearts and minds and imaginations of, the, of our neighbors as we live for God's glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the security that we have in you. And that even though, God, we look around and feel disoriented and maybe even disheartened and discouraged by the reality in our world, Lord, may we hold fast to the anchor that is you. May we, may we recall even Peter's journey with you, God, where he saw you walking on the waves and spoke those words over the wind and the waves, peace be still. Father, I pray this morning in the lives that are here this morning and those who are watching, God, that you would speak those words, peace be still. Father, give us security, not in our situation, but in your presence in our midst. And then out of that hope, Father, may we live a life that brings you glory and honor, that shows our love for you and our love for neighbors. Lord, rest your favor and anointing upon Springvale as a beacon of hope and light in this nation, in this community. And Father, we look forward to seeing and anticipating your resurrection power through all the churches across Canada and in our world. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.